0: Leaders of the Lucy mission that is about to begin its journey to Jupiter, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. I lied. Lucy is not going to Jupiter. In fact, it will never be closer to Jupiter than when it returns to Earth in a slingshot maneuver. That's how far the Trojan asteroids that share Jupiter's orbit are from our solar system's biggest world. Our last conversation with Hal Levison, Kathy Olkin, and Mike Sekarak was over two years ago. Now their spacecraft is prepped and ready to begin the long trip to the outer solar system. My exclusive and very fun conversation with them is Minutes Away. It includes a cameo appearance by a space fan named Richard Starkey. You may know him as Ringo Starr. Afterward, we'll check in with Bruce Betts, who has a space trivia quiz with yet another extended deadline. We'll begin with these headlines from the Downlink, the weekly newsletter from the Planetary Society. You can get it for free at planetary.org slash downlink. The October 8 edition is topped by a photo you'll hear Bruce and me talk about. It's Mercury, imaged during a brief visit by the European Space Agency's Colombo spacecraft while it was less than 200 kilometers above the surface. Five more of these encounters are in store before it finally achieves orbit in four years. Building on its very successful Emirates Mars mission, also known as HOPE, The United Arab Emirates has announced that it will send a probe to explore several asteroids in the main belt before finally landing on one in 2033. I look forward to welcoming back Her Excellency Sarah Al-Amiri, chair of the UAE Space Agency, for a conversation about this new project. I didn't hesitate when I received an invitation from Mike Sekorak a few weeks ago. He wondered if I'd be interested in getting the gang together again. Based at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, Mike is the Deputy Project Systems Engineer for the Lucy mission. Mike, Lucy Principal Investigator Hal Levison, and Deputy Principal Investigator Kathy Olkin were my guests in April of 2019, when their spacecraft was still coming together. Now, Lucy is sitting on top of the Atlas V that will help it begin its 12-year mission. The launch window opens on Saturday, October 16th. It was just a week before that, the four of us gathered online for the illuminating and very enjoyable conversation you're about to hear. Hal and Kathy, both of whom work at the Southwest Research Institute, gathered with Mike around one microphone at Cape Canaveral. Hal, Kathy, Mike, congratulations on reaching this already auspicious date. I, I cannot believe that we are talking, well, as we speak, it's still, what, nine days ahead of the opening of your uh, launch window. But I'm so glad to catch you now because I have seen some of your schedule for next week, just the public and media events you're going to be doing. And so uh, I, I'm glad to catch you now when you've got a moment to catch your breath and talk to us on Planetary Radio. Welcome back to the show. It's our pleasure to be here. Thank to be here, you. Matt. You've got to tell people what you just told me, what just happened this morning as we speak on the 7th of October. Kathy?
1: This morning, it was really exciting. We woke up early and got to see the spacecraft lifted onto the booster at the vertical integration facility. So amazing. What an amazing day Mm -hmm. to finally get here and have our spacecraft on top of the launch vehicle.
0: Absolutely thrilling. I did see the two pieces of the fairing as they were being uh, put onto the spacecraft. That was in one of the photos NASA was released just the other day. I- I'm so sorry I wasn't recording when you first told me that because you were just jumping up and down. In spite of the fact that you've been up since when?
2: We got up around 4 o'clock to head out to, to see it. They drove the spacecraft from Astrotech on surface roads, which is why they do it in the middle of the night to get it to ksc and then starting at around seven uh they were beginning the lift
1: it was a little bit of a bittersweet moment i you know i love being able to see that spacecraft and i know that we're not going to see it again you know Ah. it's going to go on its way and and i was a little sad about not being able to see it in person again of course you know, Lucy will be where it needs to be in space, where it's designed to be, and, of course, where it can capture all the great science. But still, I felt a little sad about not being able to see it in person anymore.
3: Yeah, we did our final checkouts last week. We got to inspect all the blankets, all the instruments, every little every little fine detail, and we all put our stamps of approval on it and, and wished it goodbye. And we uh, do our, our first power-up on top of the rocket uh, tomorrow for our final checkouts, and then we're ready to go. Wow. And you
0: were not the first people to tell me that was kind of a, a a feeling of mixed emotions as you saw your spacecraft with your own eyes for uh, for the last time. So, Mike, it sounds like
3: everything's in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. Technically, the spacecraft is is ready to go. Uh, we put it through a lot of uh, environmental testing uh, and a lot of other simulations and and other verification procedures uh, throughout the whole uh, last basically year year and a half. Um, all the way through the normal shock and vibration and thermal vacuum testing. But you know, because of our unique mission, we've had to do some unique tests to help simulate those asteroid encounters and flybys, uh, which is required you know to really look at the loosely unique aspect of our mission to define and to execute some specialized testing. And the spacecraft all passed with flying colors, and we feel she's ready to go.
1: Yeah, I'd like to mention one of those specialized tests. We have an instrument pointing platform on the spacecraft. It has our scientific instruments and it has a two axis gimbal so we can move and point at the Trojan asteroids as we fly by. That gimbal, of course, is designed to be working in space, but we need to test it here. On Earth, And so there's a huge helium balloon that we use to off weight the uh, weight of, you know, the force of gravity pulling down on the instrument pointing platform so that we can do deployment tests. I think that's really cool. All the different ways that there's ground support equipment to be able to test the spacecraft on the ground that's meant to work in space.
3: Yeah, and another one of the really amazing tests was when we deploy these solar arrays, the largest ultraflex arrays that have ever flown will be the furthest uh, solar powered mission that's ever operated. And seeing those arrays deploy off the spacecraft for the first time was, was really, really exciting. Uh, but it takes a huge amount of ground support equipment. And we only can deploy one wing at a time because it's so big, you know, fitting in into that area. But they... They worked uh, just great so far on the ground, and and we have confidence that they'll work in flight as well. But It was was quite the engineering feat to get them tested both in the vacuum chamber on their own as well as on the spacecraft and tested on the ground.
2: I just want your audience to understand what these solar arrays are. They're made out of cloth. Well, the cells aren't made out of cloth, but the, the, the support is made out of cloth, and they unfold like oriental fans. So they're actually quite beautiful to watch deploy, I encourage your listeners to go off and watch some of the videos that are on YouTube. It really is quite beautiful.
0: We will put a, the a link to that video of the test deployment of those magnificent solar panels Those fans on this week's show page at planetary.org slash radio, along with some other stuff that I think we'll be talking about. So you're going to be taking that record away from Juno, the current record holder for uh, farthest out flight by a solar powered uh, spacecraft. Tell me if you had had the chance. If NASA had said, hey, look what we found. Here's a radioisotope thermal generator we forgot we had. Would you like to substitute that for your solar panels? I don't know. How might you have tried to take advantage of that? I mean, assuming it was years ago.
2: Yeah, and it depends on the details, right? One of the things that are really special about um, our solar arrays is we got a lot of power for the mass, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's not necessarily true for uh, any kind of nuclear power. So uh, we'd have to look at the the benefits, of, uh, the cost benefits of it.
3: Yeah, so our arrays are going to produce half a kilowatt of power all the way out at 5.7 AU. Uh, that's wow. why we have the big solar arrays. And so one RTG won't be nearly enough to give mm-hmm. us that amount of power um, out of that distance.
0: Isn't that amazing? I mean, we went from oh my gosh, is Juno going to be able to do this from so far out to now actually seeing other advantages, not just the poor availability of RTGs, but they may actually offer the advantages that you're talking about.
2: One other aspect of these things is when they're folded up, they're only four inches thick.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that gives you some feeling for what how special these things are and how innovative they are.
0: Hal, this may be as good a time as any, to let you give some additional kudos to, if not the individual members, other members of the team, but the other organizations uh, and and companies that have helped us reach this day.
2: Well, there's no doubt that we we have gotten tremendous amount of support from our partners. Uh, they've been there, not only with financial support when we needed it, but every time that we needed help, we got the A-team. And uh, that is why we ended up being where we are. So it's a combination of Goddard Space Flight Center, uh, who's been managing this, and uh, Lockheed Martin has been amazing at uh, getting all this done in time. It's been a great collaboration that has allowed us to get here.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to also call out some of our other partners. Our instruments were built at Arizona State University, and the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, and Goddard Space Flight Center, and our navigation team comes from Kinetics, and uh, our Science Operations Center is at Southwest Research Institute. So it takes a number of different institutions all across our country to be able to build and fly a spacecraft, and it's because of all the hard work of the people at those institutions that we are where we are today.
0: A great collaboration, as so many missions, basically all of missions are nowadays.
1: You couldn't
2: do something like this without uh, a collaboration like that.
1: Yeah, it it takes a a great team, right? mm, There's no single person mm, who could build and fly mm. a spacecraft. You know, that would be crazy. Mm. But it also takes a lot of people with different talents and different skills Mm. all coming together for a single goal. That's part of the reason I love doing space exploration.
0: I promise I'm going to come back to the mission and what's ahead, even though we've talked about that in the past. Uh, By the way, you were last on the show in April of 2019, so two and a half years, a lot's happened since then. There are so many other wonderful things that are wrapped around this mission. I watched the video the other day made of the dedication ceremony for the plaque that has now been attached to Lucy and is going to sail with Lucy for, what,
2: tens of thousands of years? Um, Or longer. longer. (laughs) good or or longer so our estimates is if lucy is left alone that its average lifetime before it either hits the sun or gets ejected from the solar system is roughly two million years wow you know we had this thought you know we go back to the pioneer plaques remember those back in the 70s i was in middle school right and i remember thinking how cool that was uh made me feel like I was connected to the galaxy in a way that I'd never thought of before. And it probably had a lot to do with why I'm doing what I'm doing today. The Pioneer Plaque is heading out to the stars, so we put messages to aliens about the human race on that. here, since it's remaining in orbit around the sun for such a long period of time, uh, it's easy to imagine that some astroarchaeologist sometime in the Uh, near or distant future will come across it looking for our junk, trying to learn about us. So this plaque has inspirational messages to our descendants on it. It's really an honor to be able to do that. We're leaving a record. I mean, if you look at most of our lives, even the three of us, this thing is going to outlive everything that we've done. And so it's really our legacy that's sitting on that spacecraft.
1: Yeah, and I really like thinking about the long-term, those eons that you're talking about, right? I think it takes a long time to explore the Trojan asteroids. We'll be in flight for 12 years. But that's nothing compared to the millions of years that the spacecraft could go on. And also, it's nice to look back to the Australopithecus fossil, Lucy. That was millions of years ago as well. And so we're spanning millions of years in either direction. And hopefully when our descendants go and find Lucy in the plaque, they'll say, oh, it's based on the fossil that we know from our ancient records. So that would be very cool. But, you know, millions of years is a long time.
0: (laughs) One of the really charming things about that ceremony that we will link to, as I said, is that you actually had the anthropologist who
2: discovered the Lucy remains, right? The Lucy skeleton? Yes. Donald Johansson uh, gave us the honor of uh, attending that. He's also going to be attending launch, giving a press conference uh, about, you know, the synergy between Lucy uh, the fossil and Lucy the spacecraft. You know, he has an interesting story to tell. His hypothesis is that what makes human beings human is our ability to be able to collaborate so that as a group, we can do accomplish things that are greater than any individual can do. So that's his definition of human. And in that way, what we're doing, building a spacecraft, is sort of of the ultimate expression of that.
0: That's just perfect, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it really is.
1: Yeah. And I'm really excited... To take the Lucy spacecraft to go explore the asteroid Donald Johansson. When we were doing the mission design, there was an opportunity to fly past an asteroid, and that asteroid, you know, had its typical license plate designation, not not a given name. We realized the opportunity and asked the person who discovered that asteroid, uh, Bobby Buss, if he could name it after Donald Johansson, and and now it is asteroid Donald Johansson. So we'll be taking Lucy out to visit Donald Johansson.
0: That's just wonderful. I I want to go back to the plaque. It it includes these wonderful, wise messages from, you know, people like Einstein and Carl Sagan, poet Rita Dove, novelist Kazuo Ishiguro, I'm a big fan, and and many others, even Amanda Gorman, who blew so many of us away with the reading of her uh, poem at the presidential inauguration earlier this year. And then there's this. I'll read it from the wonderful Davis Sobel, who I was in touch with a couple of days ago. We, the inquisitive people of Earth, sent this robot spacecraft to explore the pristine small bodies orbiting near the largest planet in our solar system. We sought to trace our own origins as far back as evidence allowed. Even as we looked to the ancient past, we thought ahead to the day you might recover this relic of our science. Gosh, she's great. She's just wonderful. She is really great. She is great. Beautiful
3: words. Yeah.
0: How did you choose among all of the possible candidates to to basically make very nearly immortal on this plaque?
2: I must admit, it was just coming up with uh, the type of person we would like to represent us. We've reached out to uh, Nobel laureates. We reached out to U.S. poet laureates we uh, then just started coming up with a bunch of names that we thought would really represent us uh, well Dana came to the front of the list really quickly because she understands what we're doing so well right a lot of the people on that list uh, while what they th- they think what we're doing is profound they really don't understand very well the the community that we're part of and I've always been impressed with Dana with her ability to be able to truly understand what we're doing and why. And her words reflect that.
1: Yeah Dava's books are just amazing. Yeah. and the way that she can convey the science and uh, exploration and lo- I'm thinking of longitude and you know the, yeah yeah is just amazing. And so she really brought that insight with that quote but we there are so many people who came, come from different backgrounds and it was wonderful to see their take on uh this request
2: yes and uh, the other another group that we've uh included is we reached out to people from the pop culture Thank pop you. culture i got yeah. one for you let
0: me see if you can hear this
3: Little noisy, but I'm so excited. Lucy is going back in the sky with
4: diamonds. Johnny'll love that. Anyway, if you meet anyone up there, Lucy, give them peace and love from me.
1: Peace
2: and
0: love, man. Peace <laughs> and love. <laughs> the one and only Ringo Starr. You actually had, you have messages on the plaque from all four of the of the Beatles. Speaking of. Uh, pop culture. uh, Pretty, pretty darn cool.
2: Well, after all, you know, the spacecraft is named after the fossil, right? And the synergy there is, you know, Donald Johansson and his collaborators were trying to unravel the history of the human race with the fossil. We're trying to unravel the history of the solar system, both of which are origins questions, with the spacecraft. But the Fossil was named after the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So there is a connection there. And if you look carefully, you'll notice that our logo for Lucy is Diamond
0: Shaped. Oh. We were
2: making a connection there with that. So they were natural to reach out to when we were putting the plaque together. And, of course, the living ones got very excited about being able to contribute, as you heard from Ringo.
0: I only wish that I could be there at the Cape with the three of you. It, it It is going to be so exciting. Just know that a lot of us out here at the Planetary Society and many other listeners to this show are also thrilled. And uh, I know that I speak for them when I wish you the greatest of success and the greatest of science ahead from uh, the Lucy mission. And thank you for this time today, all three of you. Go, Lucy. Yep. Go, Lucy. Go Lucy. Peace,
1: Peace
0: and love. Go, Peace Lucy. Peace and love. Lucy Principal Investigator Hal Levison, Deputy Principal Investigator Kathy Olkin, and Deputy Project Systems Engineer Mike Sekirak. Bruce will be here with
4: what's up in a minute. This is Planetary Radio. LightSail 2 made history with its launch and deployment in 2019, and it's still sailing. Hi, everyone. It's Bruce, Program Manager for the Planetary Society's LightSail Program. Your support made this happen. Now we need help to continue the adventure. Gifts in support of our extended mission will be matched up to $25,000 by a generous society member. Details are at planetary.org slash S-A-I-L-O-N. That's planetary.org slash on. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news. Pretty Planetary Pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update
2: from the world of planetary science.
0: Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here is the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. Wait a minute, I got something to read to you. I almost forgot. It's from our our longtime listener Elijah Marshall in Australia. I'm loving listening to Bruce. Is he as much fun in the office as he is on the show? Well, Elijah, the answer is I don't know because I haven't been to the office in a year and a half, much less been there with Bruce. Are you fun in the office still? No. <laughs> there you have it, Elijah. Straight from the mm, mouth. Yeah, right. What's
4: up? Uh, let's just jump into the night sky. Uh, so we've got, it's just lovely in the evening sky. You've got soon after sunset over in the east, Venus really, really bright, and it is uh getting pretty darn high for Venus, so easy to see. You turn over to the other part of the sky, and the other really bright object is Jupiter with Saturn to its right. And over the coming weeks and a couple months, they'll all be getting closer together. It'll be a fun festive time, but for now, they're still lovely in different parts of the sky. I've got Mercury. Mercury making an appearance in the pre-dawn east. You're going to need a nice view of the Eastern horizon looking fairly low down, but uh, it's it's coming up and will be be there for uh, two, three, four weeks. On to this week in space history: it was 1997, Cassini-Huygens was launched on its way to the Saturnian system. 2003, Shenzhou Five uh, was launched, and Yang Liwei became the first Chinese astronaut. And in 2018. Colombo was launched, and it's been flying past Venus and making its way gradually to Mercury.
0: And just made, what, a couple of weeks ago now, that uh, first pass of Mercury, and got some really cool images, uh, some of which uh, we have had uh, at planetary.org.
4: They're, uh, they're fun. And we look forward to more in the coming years. For now, though, we move on to... I don't know what to make of that. I don't either. You've been hearing about the Lucy mission. In fact, on this show. <laughs> exactly. I, I know these things. And uh, although I haven't heard the the episode yet, but the uh, custom of naming the Trojan asteroids of Jupiter after Trojan War figures from the Iliad, Johann Palisa of Vienna, uh, who was first to accurately calculate their orbits, and uh, I don't know if you discussed that in the leading Orbit leading Jupiter named after Greek heroes, trailing orbit named after heroes of Troy, but just to confuse matters there's a spy in each camp with uh, one Greek in the Trojan, one Trojan in the Greek camp. Uh, I don't know if there's a horse involved, but uh, they were named before the they were named early on before the convention took place. so you know
0: that did not come up. Thank you for those uh, tidbits, those sub
4: rsFs. <laughs> We're getting into the details. We've been on the air for a long time. All right. We moved on to the trivia question. I asked you, what moon of a... This was such a kludgy question. I'd be curious how we did. What moon of a planet has an orbital sidereal period closest to 24 hours? So it takes about 24 hours to go around its parent planet. How'd we do, Matt?
0: We got such a variety of answers on this one. Uh, There were some ones that came very close, some not so close. Uh, But the general opinion was, the the consensus was, well, it all consolidated in one. And I will let Dave Fairchild, the poet laureate, uh, provide it to us. Methone is an egg-shaped moon, a ball of fluff, I guess. It lives in Saturn's E-ring and is also craterless at barely 3 kilometers Cassini gave it worth by showing that its orbit time is just the same as earth almost anyway according to Norman Cassoon in the UK and a lot of other people its period is it or its rotational period is exactly or very nearly 1.009573975 Earth days, sidereal uh, measurement. In fact, I, I, I think you specified that, actually. I,
4: I did, and it's actually, I mixed and matched. That's why I say it's kludgy. It's it's the orbital period, how long it takes to go around the planet, which isn't necessarily the same as the rotational period, which is what our 24 hours is, approximately. Can I tell
0: Norm, Norman Kassoon, that uh, he's our winner? Yes, well, it's another one that uh, was the end, end of a long, dry spell. His last win was in January of 2017. So those of you out there who uh, are still wandering in the wilderness, keep the faith. Uh, we're going to send Norman, by the way, a Planetary Society kick asteroid, rubber asteroid. How's that? Congrats, Norman. Congrats. All right. We're ready to go
4: on to another contest with another special deadline. All right, we're coming back to Lucy. Uh, So most of the asteroids to be visited by the Lucy mission are Trojan asteroids named after characters in Homer's Iliad. But what two objects to be visited by Lucy are named after real people? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. Wow,
0: this might be a tough one, but you've got two weeks this time, not three like last week. In fact, we've got the same deadline we gave you last week of October 27th. That's Wednesday, October 27th at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And uh, we'll have a cool little, maybe it'll be warm, I don't know, a little uh, Planetary Society rubber asteroid waiting for the winner of this contest.
4: All right, everybody, go out there, look on the night sky, and somewhat unfortunately, think about macrame. Thank you and good night. I just don't understand why would macrame be unfortunate? All right, we love the macrame.
0: <laughs> Good. That's Bruce Betts. He's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for what's up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members, who like Lucy, are diamonds in the sky. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra.